whatever we've taught the dog, if we lock it down to very specific environments, very same models of teaching as they're learning it, when you ask them to try it somewhere else, it's almost like they can't because I've only learned to do it this way. What is generalization? The specific definition means that behavior change happens when that behavior occurs outside the original learning environment. The behavior change can happen across settings, time, and across people. The behavior remains strong in these new conditions without having to be relearned. What does this have to do with dogs? Well, plenty. On this episode of Learning About Dogs, Kay Lawrence and myself, Sue McGuire, talk about generalization. But let's talk about cars first. Standing in front of my class, I talk about uh, commonly commonly used terms in dog training. And one of the terms that I heard back when I was really starting out in this business is dogs are terrible at generalization. And I didn't <laughs> quite understand what that meant. Um, and then, so, well, you know, you have to teach them everywhere. It's the, you have to teach them here. You have to teach them there. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't quite understand, but, but that didn't make sense to me. So I guess maybe we go back to, yeah, 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 go back to what is generalization or maybe what are the people's commonly held. um, uh, But that's sort of the thing. If you say to a class of people, you know, what, what did you last generalize? Yeah. Most of them would go, um, what does that mean? (laughs) You know, so, um, I mean, it's, it's also one of these jargony words that, is used in everyday language to mean one thing. And then there are sort of subsections that mean something special when it's used in context with maybe, you know, psychology or learning or behavior analysis. So um, the two tend to get folded over on top of each other and not mean what they should mean when they mean it like default. Yeah. You know, um, you can, there's more or drive, you know, there's more than one meaning for the word. So, it tends to get sloppy where people tend to use it in the wrong context, meaning one thing, but not another, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. So generalization. So my favorite analogy is driving a car. Now I understand I was taught, I never looked under the hood of a you know, car. I never saw what a clutch did, never worked. I have no idea how the engines worked. I pay other people to do that but I can sit there and I can change gear and I can drive in traffic. Can I generalize my car driving skills to other models of cars? Not very easily because I only learned on two or three cars for the first year when I learned to drive. And then the car I bought had to last me 10 years. And I've pretty much gone through that same model where I stick with this a car for 10 years and then change to another car. So if I turn up somewhere and have to drive a, rental car i'm pretty shitty at it for about the first 20 minutes if you put me in a big tractor i understand the principles but i can't generalize my skills from one thing to that easily because i didn't practice enough in the early days yep so somebody who may have been 17 it was a bit of a petrol head and leapt into every car they got an opportunity of and practiced driving with those little 
differences between a Volvo and a VW and a Ford and a blah blah blah. Yep, they would. Their skills for life would probably generalize better. I see. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. I, I I don't know. That's you know, and I've never drive. I'd love to drive a bus. Oh. I really would love to drive a bus. <laughs> just something I want to do. I, I'm not sure one why, but big, okay. <laughs> big giant lorries, you know. But even just transferring from left-hand drive to right-hand drive, oh, no, thank oh, you very yeah, much. No, no, no. I, I, I just cope with what I can cope with, and that's it. So you could say that I don't generalize driving very well, but it's nothing to do with me as a species or the fact that I'm a woman. It's the early learning was locked into very specific contingents. So a very specific type of car, it was a mini and the old minis used to have um, gear levers that were like stirring puddings. I mean, you know, you moved it from first to third, you probably moved this lever at least two feet. Oh, wow. (laughs) It was a foot to come back to neutral, across the way and another foot down to go into third. It was, wow. (laughs) talk about target stick oh goodness me um so it wasn't even subtle it was a a real real steer the pudding around so (laughs) you know that was my learning to start with so if you're teaching a dog to do something say spin on the spot turn around on the spot and you do this standing in the kitchen and you teach it with your right hand and you lure it and you always step the same way and you always use the same treat and you're standing in the same space in the kitchen, all of those things start to become part of the behavior. Yep. So whatever we've taught the dog, if we lock it down to very specific environments, very same models of teaching as they're learning it, when you ask them to try it somewhere else, it's almost like they can't because I've only learned to do it this way. So if I had had a driving lesson once a week in a different car, I probably wouldn't have progressed as fast because I've had to adapt every time I got into a new car. But my skills of driving would be far more flexible Mm. and that would give me the ability to generalize to other cars or other types of vehicles in the future. So if you're teaching a dog to do something and you know the future of this behavior is going to ask the dog to do it in different places, then even when you train it, you train it with as little as possible that's fixed. Now, this doesn't mean you train it in different places. You train it with the least amount of fixed um, what the dog would consider is relevant. Mm -hmm. Just changing the treat. So say we're teaching the dog to turn a circle. We would tend to use the same hand for one circle one way and one for another way. Well, then use different hands. Use a different height. Train in the kitchen, but move around the kitchen. Yeah, so you're not stuck with the same, this is where you teach this, this is where you teach that. I mean, that can be an advantage later on when dogs get mixed up between things. You train one thing in the sitting room, one thing in the hallway, another thing in the lounge. You know, the dogs will adapt that in this room they learn this behavior and in that room they learn that behavior so they don't get mixed up between the two. But if you're asking the dog to do a consistent movement, the movement wants to be the same, but all the things that surround that movement, all the stimulus that gets the movement to happen need to be the minimum possible fixed. Yep. So the scaffolding is the bare minimum that establishes success, not just the habits that we tend to do every time. 
this sort of so goes, if you want to... so this sort of goes to the episode that we recorded i want to say last season about being very cautious about having your cues be too static or the contextual yeah, cues yeah, yeah. yeah. well it, it, de it depends if you again you've always got to look you know somebody says to me well if i teach the dog to do a down in the kitchen why won't it do it outside well what's the future of this behavior well, i want to be able to work it on at a distance and to be able to drop like a stone when i say down okay well that changes how you would teach it as opposed to well i want the dog to settle down in the back of the car when i'm driving yes. you know so you've always got to consider the future where this behavior is going you can't just have at it and then six months down the road think well it doesn't do it here does it well that's because you didn't train it to be done here so if you put me in a i know what's an exotic american car um and a honda element <laughs> Okay. That's my car. <laughs> okay. okay. But no, something exotic. What are those? Um... Probably one of those tes Teslas. Yeah. You know, I would, I would have to sit there for five minutes with the driving instructor oh, yeah. to show me where the bits are, you oh, know, because yeah. I wouldn't be able to go, oh, that's, that is it. And that's that. Oh yeah, I got it now. Right. You know, yeah. oh, okay. Because I, I, I didn't learn a enough about the background of driving and how it works. So I never understood it at a conceptual level okay. as to what the clutch does. I've been driving 20 years and I saw a clutch on a workbench when I went to pick up the car and I, oh, what's that then? He says, it's a clutch. Is it really? And he showed me how it works. And I'm like, wow, well, that explains a lot. doesn't it? You know? Because back when I was learning to drive, one didn't need to know no. how a clutch worked, no. but goodness me, it would have made a significant difference if I had. Yeah. as to how I use that equipment. Yeah, but Kay, don't you find that that in your in your car analogy, we're actually quite good at learning how to navigate these different models with a little bit of learning. Like... It depends on whether you've got that learning confidence as well. You know, so if, um, so I had a friend who had a really bad accident. This will have to translate differently. So. Basically, she was sitting in the middle of the road to turn across traffic. She was trying to turn right for us, left for you, and got taken out in the middle of the traffic. So that took her driving confidence away for a good year. And then when she started to drive again, she would plan the entire route where she never had to do this across another ongoing stream of traffic. You understand? Yes. Turning out yes. of the main, major road. So she would plan to be able to come somewhere and only turn left. Hmm on the near side to you turn right, you know, mm -hmm. go around in circles. <laughs> um, because the confidence was totally stripped away. So if I have to get in a brand new car or if it was an emergency and I had to get in and drive a Jeep, yeah, and it was an old Jeep that had a pretty tricky clutch, you know, or somebody's not or only did, you know, when you go gear shift driving 20 years ago and suddenly they've got to get in a car and do this, they're going to stutter. They're going to go, oh, how did I do, How did I learn? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Oh, she doesn't generalize very well, does she? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I might do, but you need to give me more time. Yes, you need to give me more time to explore, try it, test it out, analyze, understand what's happening. Um, and there's a totally different aspect of being able to drive the mechanics of the vehicle to make it go forward and then to be able to do it at a level where you can focus on the traffic. Yes. So there's quite a different thing of being able to drive a car down an empty road or on an airfield and get used to the driving or skidding or, you know, all the other crazy things they like to do. That's not the same as driving in heavy city traffic when you're having to negotiate, listen to, you know, 
sat-nav telling you where to go, watch drivers in our cities. Oh, my goodness, so aggressive that you're almost not driving the car anymore. You're driving for your own personal safety. No, it's, it's a completely different model. Def defensive so, driving all the way. Yep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's a little bit the same with the dogs in the sense that we teach a behavior. So I'd like my dog to do that beautiful cantilever down um, anywhere at any time. Yep. It's easy enough to teach. But when I'm teaching it, I make sure I lure it with my left hand and my right hand. Sometimes I'm standing. Sometimes I'm sitting down. Sometimes she's up on the grooming table. Sometimes she's on the workbench. So there's very, very slight variations, but all of those variations have one thing in common. She's in a confident, secure environment. She's in a place where learning will be optimum. Hmm. So this is the equivalent of driving. All you've got to work about is worrying about the vehicle. There's no other traffic. There's an entire airfield that's got no airplanes on it, and you can just drive and not hit anything. Wow. All I have to worry about is the technique of driving, and I can try a few things out with confidence to cope with just doing the driving because I'm in a secure place. Um, I'm not going to embarrass myself by, you know, causing an accident. But the minute we take the dog outside and it might just be out the front of your house and you ask the dog to lie down, she's going, what, here? I have to scan the environment here. There might be a cat. There might be a strange dog. Oh, my goodness, there's wind blowing. There's trees are doing things over there. It stops being a safe environment. Now you're having to drive a new car out of an airport in rush hour traffic. Hmm. <laughs> no wonder we don't generalize well, because to me, the environment you're asking the dog to do the behavior in is more important than whether it's generalizing or not. But if you've taught a behavior at home and over six months you take your youngster to a training class where they're allowed to sit they can sit on your lap, they can sit by your chair, they just watch all the other dogs, they say hello to other dogs, they say hello to people, and you're looking for them to be secure and find that environment familiar. To the point which when they arrive at that venue, they go, oh, I know where I am, I'm safe here, this is cool. Now, if you say to them, hey, can you do that lie down thing here? Yes, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. So they'll generalize that behavior provided the environment gives them the same security that they would have had where they learned it. Ah, that's such an important And to me, that's aspect. the key thing. Because, it is, yeah. absolutely. I, I'm really not a take the dog everywhere, try different places, five new places, five this, that, and the other. No. And I've seen so many people drag a dog around all these places, and I see these behaviors just become more and more stressed because although the dog might be able to carry out the behavior, it becomes tainted by the fact that the dog is not comfortable where you're asking them to do it. So in the home environment, you've got it, say, to a grade seven quality behavior. Let's say grade eight is the best. Mm -hmm. If I ask for this at home in the dog's safe environment, all the other dogs are out the way. It's only you and me. I've got best treats. Can you do it? Bang. Yes, that's my best measure. That's a seven. I know if you do another six months training, it'll just get a little bit of an edge on it and be an eight, which is the best I could expect. Now I'll take the dog to a new place. Oh, and it drops down to a five, sometimes a three. Sometimes they hesitate. Sometimes they look around a bit before they lie down. Sometimes they lie down slowly. Sometimes they don't quite lie down. You're starting to crumble the dog's confidence 
in being able to be successful in that behavior, that won't be forgotten. Mm. Yes, that can affect that behavior for life. And we see this so often when dogs are taken to new places where they're not confident and asked to do things, the behavior deteriorates. And even then, when you bring it back home, it does, you know, resurge back to where it was in the home environment. But then new places don't become a place. Yeah, sure. Bring it on. New places become, oh, God, you're going to want me to do that here. And you'll just see these dogs eyes start to roll a bit. We see it in a lot of sports dogs where they're just taken to a place where they don't feel comfortable to do it. They just haven't got a history in that environment. This is a good place to be. So I've never really looked to train my dog in dog training classes. <laughs> haven't done that for over 30, 40 years. You know, it, to me, it, dog training class is not a very good place to train a dog, mm. you know, because there's so much going on, so much that can go wrong. Other people's dogs are oozing stress or arousal or chasing treats near my dog you know so anything i ask for there is probably something i taught over a year ago you know something's got a long history of being reinforced and i say to my dog can you do that in this environment and if the dog goes you must be joking okay no problem that's all it tells me you're not comfortable here let's give people tools let's give people tools so they go to a new environment what should they be looking for before they dog being bored can we do something oh okay oh okay so yeah you know you're gonna sit on a park bench yeah okay we've got to the park bench right now the dog's gonna sit there and have a look at every single thing that they can have a look at you can read a book it doesn't matter you can sit on your phone yeah the dog's looking at this the skateboarders wow goodness me there's ducks there's geese there's trees i've never seen one of those trees before it can vary from time of year vary from time of day oh there's somebody pushing past the pram okay 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 now maybe the fifth or sixth time you go there the dog goes oh yeah yeah i know where this is this is cool and at some point they start to turn to you to seek affection or can we do something? I'm bored. Mm. You know, the sort of thing you get in your living room when, mm. Mm. Yeah. or you might eat a sandwich, open up your sandwich box and the dog goes, Hey, that's cool. I'd like some of that. That's a pretty good indicator that here, if the dog is turning their back on the environment, they're comfortable. They're happy enough to turn their back on the environment without being engineered to do so. I.e. they volunteered that. Then I would have to start, start to ask for those behaviors. But I would build them from scratch. I would go back to, do you remember how you learnt this lie down behaviour? And with that little bit of crust of bread off the sandwich, I would see if they can do it here. Yeah, yeah, I can remember that. Cool. Yeah. So then you're using that sort of, this is how you learnt it. So can you learn it the same way again? So we follow the same pathway that we taught it at home. And as you're following this pathway, the dog's gaining momentum from being successful. But you're also monitoring how far are we going to be able to go? Mm-hmm. You don't just jump in and say, can you do a grade seven drop? Uh, no. no. Could you do a grade one one where I help you do it? Yes, I can. Oh, cool. How about a grade two where I just indicate how to do it and then feed you? Yeah, I can do that as well. So you build them up slowly in that environment. Hmm. So they get confidence that this is an environment where you can learn things as well. But if somebody then goes past with a skateboard, you stop training yes. and let the dog notice the skateboard, 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 skateboard's gone now. Wow. They then turn back to you and say, can we do some more of that? Yeah, on we go. Mm-hmm. So it's looking for the, it's not socialization, it's becoming familiar with the world they'll live in and what does familiarity look like in your dog? 
are they sitting comfortably or are they hyper alert? Mm -hmm. Are they facing outwards or are they able to face you and see what you're doing? So is what you're doing of greater interest to them than what the environment's around them? Okay. That makes sense. I, I use the analogy. I don't know if it's a correct one, but I've always said, do you remember back in the day when you were first learning how to read and you had to sound out each letter in the, in the word, and then you could complete it quite quickly after, after a few repetitions. And I, I, I say, start, start the word for your dog. Sorry, I missed that bit. No, that's okay. I say, I say, start the beginning of the word for your dog, um, rebuild it briefly, um, and see if the dog, like you said, can finish it. And if they can't, then Absolutely. support them a little bit more. But give them a starting point. Don't expect them to pull it out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But if you know you're going to have to go places and expect them to perform at a grade seven without any previous rehearsal or refreshing what the behavior is, then you need to practice that again in a secure environment. So if I'm, I know I'm going to need my dog, say, to... Um, jump into the car yep mm-hmm. um in a strange car that's never been before i will practice jumping up on things in my secure environment a lot so i might be around the back of the sofa and i'll say up you get which is unusual for the dog to do that or i might say to the dog um i know jump up onto this table you so I'm, I'm actually replicating no learning how to do something with no rehearsal or refreshment around the house so halfway down the stairs, I'll ask the dog to do a, a down, I call it a drop. Um, can you do the drop here? And you can see Merrick look at me go, but this is the staircase. I go, yeah, I know, but it's flat. Can you do it here? Yeah, okay, cool. Sure. On we go again. So I will include out of the blue expectations in their secure environment so that that's another skill they learn how to do. You know, so the same as if I said to you, spell necessary for me. No rehearsal. Go. Yeah, sure. You know, that's fluency that we're looking for where you can access what it is and how to do it without any hesitation is something that needs to be practiced. And anybody that you look at that's good at something, they all have in common. They love to practice. Ah, Whether it's dog training or dancing or playing the violin or driving cars. I mean, could you imagine driving a car just to practice? (laughs) (laughs) To me, driving a car is, no, I just need to go from A to B. Why would yeah. I want to practice driving a car? Yeah. No. <laughs> Apparently, I, I had to drive a tractor for somebody who was in a bit of a dire state. Would you, can you drive a tractor? Yeah. Could you move this tractor with a pile of hay? Uh, uh, um, if you absolutely need it and nobody else can, I, I could probably do it. And apparently I did a hill start on a tractor and stood it up on its back end. I wasn't <gasps> supposed to do that. but <laughs> It went forwards with the hay. Don't worry. I just did a hill start, you know? Yeah. So that's the most uh, unusual thing that you've driven. What's that, what, is that the most unusual thing you've driven? Like yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a lawnmower I sit on now. That took me a bit oh, of getting used yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I drove... But no, this is a stinky, stinky big tractor. I drove a uh, fire truck. I used to be a firefighter back, <gasps> back in the day. Yeah. A double clutch, double clutch? Fire, wow. Fire yeah, truck. Yeah. 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 Not, yeah, not an yeah. emergency. It was just practicing. Oh, my stars. Yeah, but I was yeah, like, I think, yeah. what, 22, 23 when I learned how to do that. So a relatively Yeah, it's just driver. that whole, and things like driving a trailer behind you or reversing a trailer. Yeah. 
goodness me, and it's done that, you know you need to practice it. You can't just have a go. Yeah. You mean the whole complexity of what way the wheels have got to go to go this way and that way. Ooh, yeah, you know, so it needs practice. So whatever you're expecting the future of the dog, you can't just presume because you've taught it there, it'll happen elsewhere. The chances are it won't. And it's not because dogs don't generalize well. They generalize what there is important to their species extremely well. And actual fact, they can overgeneralize, which is another, you know, jargony term, which is like, well, the first guy that I met that had a beard stuck a needle in me and I didn't like it very much. Yes. So I'm not going to like any men with beards for the rest of my life. Yes. You know, yes. just because the vet had a beard doesn't mean that all men are the same. Yes. And that's that's a Very they have a special term as misgeneralization, or it's an inappropriate generalization. Yeah, that yeah. Undesired therefore response. it must be <laughs> a desired mm, response generalization. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes wrong. So, you know, generalization can go both ways. You can generalize things like um, when I have um, a mother and puppy that ends up growing up together, that puppy will nearly always pick up their mother's name and respond to it, not their own name. So I have to spend time teaching them just because I go, Peppa, it doesn't mean them, it meant their mother. So I have to teach them that yeah, doesn't mean I'm calling you unless you actually um, discriminate between what their name sounds like and what your name sounds like. Mm. So, you know, teaching that refined discrimination is almost like the opposite of generalizing all words that sound like calling or all words that sound like a cue must mean this. So we're probably degeneralizing. There we are. Invented a new one now. Oh, there you go. All our lives. So we teach the dogs the difference between these are shoes I put on when we go for a walk and these are shoes I put on when I'm going to work. Not all shoe putting on means we're coming with me. Exactly. It's, yeah. Which is generalization. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I assure you, dogs always think that when you pick up the car keys, they're going to come with you. So they do generalize very well. Yes. In certain, yes. On what's relevant to, to them. them. Yes. Well, let's talk about the other side of the coin. Uh, before we turned on the microphone, we were chit-chatting ch about this a little bit. And then we got into this topic of, wait a second, we're always thinking about the dogs not being very good generalizer uh, or, or are, depending. Um, how about handler skills? Boy, sometimes they... <sighs> They really leave for lacking, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, if you see people that are used to having medium-sized dogs, give them a giant breed to hold a lead on. Their skills will not generalize to a big dog that can pull them over. Yep, you know, and if you see people with, you know, the big breeds like the St. Bernard's or the Leon Burgers, they stand a certain way, i.e. they're standing in preparation to brace. <laughs> In case this dog goes for a bounce. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. And this is what, you know, when somebody comes to classes and they have one of the, the bigger breeds, we have to teach them this because this is what their future is going to be about. But if they've got a Dachshund, and if you give somebody, a St. Bernard owner, say, could you hold this lead on this dog mode? It's a Dachshund. They'll always nearly walk it like a shopping bag. You know, they put their hand out to one side and <laughs> ooh, ooh. So my father was used to handling German Shepherds, um, you know, post-war. When he walked my Cavalier, it was just tragic to see, you know, because it was like, oh, I can't, I can't pull back. And he'd end up walking down the street faster and faster and faster. So he didn't, you know, harm her neck by not oh. walking as fast as, she, you know, like, 
heavens above no just stop stand still no i can't do <laughs> you know so we do not generalize our skills very well most people don't generalize reward you know i remember in the early expo days click and treat mm -hmm. yeah yeah sure sure that's what people learned because that was the jargon that was the brand you follow it with the treat okay so how about if you use a different marker and you give affection instead or you play yeah but when do you give the treat well you don't need to because you're giving something else as a reward instead <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, oh yeah no i give a treat when i play so i teach my dog to play and then i give the treat afterwards okay, okay. <laughs> you know they're not generalizing the understanding that it is, is the reward that is perceived by the dog to be rewarding for that behavior you know that's the consequence that's the generalization yes i see that a lot with my volunteers at the shelter their skills are just astounding in terms of how they can modify what they do based on the, the energy of the dog, the size of the dog, mm. the a perceived learning history of the dog. I, it's just, mm. it's amazing. Work thousands Often of dogs. See, yeah. Well, that's what, you know, when I, when somebody says, oh, you should do this, that, the other, I said, have you ever worked in a kennels? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just to be able to do a rub at a front of a kennel, and walk in and be able to read that situation instantly is to me a skill that every dog owner should get under their belt. Mm -hmm. You know, A, if this dog's likely to bite you, how would you protect yourself? If the dog is fearful, how would you change your behavior? If the dog is overroused, what would you do instead? You know, all of the questions like observation as when your dog first sees you arrive, how does it react? Mm -hmm. Could you arrive in a way that is not loud, yes. <laughs> not a surprise? Right. So you might talk as you come along. So the dog goes, oh, there's a person coming. I don't know that voice. Okay, so I won't stand and stare at you to start with and jiggle with your gait. I'll just say, I'm here. Do you know me? No, I don't. I, I'll just take a moment or two to have a think about who you are. You know, or, you know, these sort of skills are learnt from not from errorless learning they're learned from having to have the flexibility like our cars to adapt yourself to every dog that you're now approaching and that adaptation process gets faster and faster every time the same as the guy at the garage every time he jumps in the car to move another client's car no problem yeah. but the people you have the uh, valets that park cars mm -hmm. yeah. that's not a job for me I would be stuck on the fourth court for quite a while <laughs> working out. Um, How do you turn oh, it okay. on? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because some of these things are like they're not where you expect them to be or, you know, the I mean, the car I have now I've had for three years. I still find myself indicating with the windscreen wipers. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's the opposite way around. So when you're not focused on it, you go back to something else. Yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. so yes, yeah, so the the. Yes, this whole process of generalization. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it can be too extensive and sometimes not extensive enough. You know, but it's it's a it's a word that does get thrown around and used as the excuse for things that we really shouldn't be doing anymore or prejudices that we shouldn't have. You know, I keep thinking about how you said that is the dog comfortable in this environment? Okay, I'm bored. Let's do this. 
how in the world? I mean, I see, I've been to a fair number of competition venues as, as not near as many as you, of course, but the, I have a hard time believing that dogs are even remotely relaxed in those environments. And, and yet they manage to do things. I don't know. No, relaxed is not the same. I, yeah, I would like okay. them to be aroused, the same as I'm not relaxed. Yeah. I'm aroused. Yeah. But I'm excited to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm enthusiastic. Um, you know, if you go to the theatre, you're not relaxed. No. You're waiting for something to happen, but you're comfortable. Okay. Yeah. It's not quite the same as um, a music gig where everyone's standing and jigging and swaying backwards and forwards. That could be a bit uncomfortable, especially. <laughs> and to certain, you know, rock artists <laughs> you're standing in front of, there's a lot of people getting very excited around you, and that's like... I would rather be in a seat on my own. Thank you very much. You know, so yes, you, you know, even if you go out to dinner, there's a certain degree of anticipation and excitement, but you're comfortable in that environment. I don't feel unsecure until the environment changes. So if you look at your dog in your own sitting room, you'd think, oh, they're comfortable here, but you have a stranger in that sitting room and they could well stop being comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is learning about, yeah, I know the dogs, you know, and, Things that you teach a dog. Oh, look, I'm going to show you how my dog does this behavior. And, oh, God, do it, do it, do it. And it's a new person sitting in your sitting room can take away the dog's comfort and that behavior won't happen. Yes, and then we blame the dog for not doing it. But in actual fact, to the dog, that person is something they are suspicious of. Yes, but why? We can't ask them. But if they're not comfortable with that person being there, they're just not comfortable with that person being there. It's a miracle that we managed to, to do things like agility competitions and crufts. And, I mean, isn't Well, it- because we're, we're picking up dogs that... Um, it, but this is, comes back to this whole question of how much is a good exposure that's healthy and how much is overexposure that can impact on a dog's comfort level. So... You know, if you said to the first 10 people that you met, how do you fancy a holiday in Taiwan? Half of them would go, ooh, no thanks, or ooh, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. So when is one person's adventure another person's nightmare? You know, you watch these TV programs where people go rafting down a place no other people have been before, and I'm like, really? Why? (laughs) <laughs> but and yet somebody said to me would you like to train a squirrel well that'd be good fun <laughs> and yet to the guy that goes rafting in nightmare conditions if you said to him would you like to train a squirrel he would go why well, don't I want to do that so almost the same with the dogs you know some dogs going out and about seeing other dogs doing things to them they would look at you and go can we do some of this as well do with me there's a general energy in the air that says to them especially with your agility you know if your dog's got a history of doing this running and leaping and you know chasing a toy they're seeing other dogs do it of course they're anticipating doing it with you yeah if they've got a history of that so that venue starts to become of one of keen arousal the right sort of arousal if you like that just says to them yeah bring it on let's have some of this Another reason to consider that when we teach a dog behaviors, you need to be very, very careful when you teach the behavior originally. 
Is it flexible? Is there a lot going on? This goes to the heart of planning what a behavior is going to look like in, say, six months, a year, or three years, and whether we're planning to only use it in one location or many locations. Check out courses and other offerings on learningaboutdogs.com and check out the classes at the Humane Society of Sonoma County in Santa Rosa. For more information and links to articles and courses, be sure to look at the episode notes. Thanks for listening.